0: Welcome to the Christian History podcast, chapter 8, episode 18. When I left off 2 weeks ago, I had just wrapped up what's recorded in the biblical text about the judge Samson. I then took a week off for Christmas, revising and republishing a Christmas episode on the Wise Men as found in the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed either of those episodes, you should really go back and give them a listen. This week, I'm picking up again with Samson with what's known about him from the outside record. And with that, let's get started. Since I haven't mentioned it yet, Samson is the last of the judges found in the 7th book of the Old Testament. What this probably means, especially if you operate under the assumption that the judges are presented chronologically, is that he judged Israel just before the uniting of the kingdom under Saul. Most researchers, though, think there was probably a 50 or so year gap between the two, meaning the last judge and the first king. Samson is often compared to other regional heroes, including the Sumerian Enkidu and the Greek Heracles, sometimes with Samson being reduced to being called the Israelite version of either. Enkidu was a legendary figure in ancient Mesopotamian mythology. He was also the wartime comrade and friend of Gilgamesh, who is considered the king of Uruk. Their exploits are recorded in Sumerian poems and also in the Akkadian Epic of Gilgamesh, written during the 3rd and 2nd millenniums BC. Overall, the epic is thought to have been written and edited sometime between 2100 and 1200 BC. All of these dates are likely before Samson, walked in Dan. Enkidu is considered to be the oldest literary representation of a so-called wild man. He was also a recurrent motif in Mesopotamian art and in ancient Near East literature. The presentation of Enkidu as a primitive man seems to be an innovation of the old Babylonian version of the epic, a version dating to between 1300 and 1000 BC, so overlapping with Samson. Before this conception of Enkidu, he was originally a servant warrior in Sumerian poems. As for Heracles, he was a divine hero in Greek mythology, the son of Zeus and Alcmene, and the foster son of Amphitryon. Heracles is considered the greatest of Greek heroes, the ancestor of royal clans, and a champion of the Olympian order against thonic monsters. In Rome in the modern west he is known as hercules with whom the later roman emperors in particular commodus and maximian often identified themselves the romans adopted the greek version of his life and works essentially unchanged but added anecdotal details of their own some of it linking the hero with the geography of the central mediterranean all of this would originally place heracles in classical greek mythology Though it's hard to assign a specific date to this period, it would be centuries after Samson. The core of the story of Heracles has been identified by some researchers as originating in the Neolithic hunter culture. It is possible that the myths surrounding Heracles were based on the life of a real person or several people whose accomplishments became exaggerated with time, all three of which fall into an archetype folk hero. More on these comparisons towards the end of the episode. Like I've covered in the previous couple of episodes on him, Samson was a Nazarite, with God-given immense strength. In reality, about as close to supernatural as humanly possible. Power given to him to not only aid in defeating his personal enemies, but to defeat the enemies of Israel. Though the biblical text never really has him doing the latter. As a Nazarite, if his hair were cut, or if he were to eat anything unclean, or consume strong drink, he would lose his strength. The haircut kryptonite, really, the revealing of this particular weakness to Delilah, would end up being his downfall. All at the urging, then hands, of the enemy to the west, the Philistines. Samson would eventually land in a grist mill, putting his legendary, but now diminished strength to a different use, grain for the Philistines. Which is a small bit ironic, considering he had previously torched their grain crop. At some point later, the Philistines trot him out for entertainment while they praise their deity Dagon for his capture and subduing. But in one last act, Samson asks God for his strength so that he can topple the temple and take thousands of Philistines with him, both of which come to fruition. In the end, Samson was buried near his home of Zorah, which was in Dan's territory, at least at that time. Soon afterwards, though, the territory would fall to the Philistines. A tomb, which some attribute to Samson and his father, is atop a mountain in Tel Zorah, in the modern country of Israel, not terribly far from Jerusalem. Embedded in Samson's story are a few things worth exploring. One of these is how he took down Dagon's temple. There is an almost raging debate among scholars if he pushed or pulled the temple down. According to the biblical narrative, Samson died when he grasped two pillars of the Temple of Dagon and bowed himself with all his might. At least, that's how it's worded in the King James. The New Revised Standard records that he strained with all his might, and the NIV said he pushed with all his might. As you might be able to deduce, bowed could mean pulled, and pushing, well, that's pushing. Strained makes no directional claim. Slightly outside of the Old Testament in rabbinic literature, Samson is often identified with Bedan, a judge mentioned by Samuel in his farewell address, found in 1 Samuel 12. Actually, Bedan is only found in the King James. It does help that the name of the tribe, Dan, is found within his name. The other two translations I use list Barak instead. But if you stick with the name Bedan, None of the versions list him in the book of Judges, and if you go with Barak, he wasn't a judge in any of the versions. Instead, he was associated with the judge Deborah. Also, literature describes the name Samson as being linked with the sun, as in the star, and was therefore more associated with protecting Israel, perhaps even to the point as recorded in Psalms 84 where God is a sun and a shield protecting his people. Jewish legend records that Samson's shoulders were 60 cubits broad, which would be 98 feet or 27 meters, more figurative than literal. Some explain this as meaning he could carry a load that big on his shoulders. That only makes a slight bit more sense. Also, portions of rabbinic literature claim he was lame in both feet. Despite this, when the Spirit of God came upon him, he could step in one stride from Zora to Eshtol. This is a distance of just under three miles, just over four kilometers. Again, figurative. In addition to the really large steps, the hairs of his head would stand up and clash against one another so loudly that they could be heard for several miles. I guess when you're Samson, there's no need to be stealthy. He was also said to be so strong that he could lift two mountains and rub them together like two clods of earth. The downside to all of this was the attention it brought on him, making Samson a constant target for the Philistines. But that wasn't his only weakness. The rabbis wrote that he followed his eyes too often meaning he let them lead him astray with the fairer sex. Just think about his wife, then the unnamed working girl, and finally with Delilah. All leading to one bad outcome after another. They would compare Samson to Amnon, a son of King David, and Zimri, a future king of Israel who only served in that role for seven days. Both would be punished for their sins. In Samson's case, his eyes being gouged out after leading him astray has a certain irony to it. But, he wasn't all bad. The rabbis also recorded that in his 20 years of judging, he never required the least bit of service from an Israelite, and he piously refrained from taking the name of God in vain. Because of this, as soon as he told Delilah that he was a Nazarite of God, she immediately knew that he had spoken the truth. She, essentially, and finally, connected the dots. As for his final feat of strength, when he destroyed the Philistine temple, they recorded that he pulled it down, but the structure fell backwards so that he was not crushed. His brothers were then able to find his body and bury it in the tomb of their father. Finally, during the Talmudic period, meaning the 3rd to 6th centuries A.D. Some within Judaism seem to have denied that Samson was a historical figure, regarding him instead as purely mythological. This was viewed as heretical by the rabbis of the Talmud, and they attempted to refute the thought. In order to make him more literal, Talmudic writers would name his mother. Recall that her actual name is never mentioned in the biblical text, The same writers even claimed he had a sister, giving her a name too. First century Jewish-Roman historian Josephus claimed that Delilah was another working girl employed by Samson, though this is never said in the biblical text. There's also the thought that Samson may have been confused by a scribe with the judge Shamgar. This is based on the incident when Samson killed a multitude of Philistines with a donkey's jaw which is similar to when Shemgar killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. In Christianity, Samson merited a few mentions. The book of Hebrews praised his faith, rooted in his frequent calling on God for his power, especially in the end. Samson is frequently used as an example of why someone should not marry outside of the faith. Though, it's worth noting that he was only married once, and while his parents objected, That marriage to a Philistine woman was as a pretext for God to use him to attack the Israelites' frequent enemies and oppressors. Some have gone as far as to compare Delilah to Satan, insofar as the latter tempted Christ and the former Samson. Playing this comparison out, only a few commentators have ever compared Samson to Christ, but limited to a Redeemer dying at the hands of an oppressor. There are other points of comparison, both births being foretold by angels, saving the people, defeating a lion and Satan, their betrayers, Delilah and Judas, being paid in silver. Though, this borders on the theological, which I try to avoid, and many of the comparisons seem a bit of a stretch. I'll end the history of Samson with how he's viewed outside of the biblical literature and history. Listeners who've made it through the first volume of the podcast know the disclaimer I usually throw out at this point, but just in case you started with volume two, I'll get you up to speed. These aren't my theories, but the thoughts and theories of others, and just because I present it doesn't mean I agree with it. I'll do what I always do and let you form your own opinions. Now, with the usual disclaimer done, let's keep going. Recently, meaning in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, some comparative mythologists interpret Samson as a solar deity, a story that probably had real world origins and through retelling grew to mythological proportions. They also point out Samson's name meaning sun, with his hair potentially representing the sun's rays. There's also the thought that he originated near the village of Beth Shemesh a town whose name translates from Hebrew to either House of the Sun or Temple of the Sun. They also posit that the name Delilah may have been a wordplay with the Hebrew word for night, Layla, all circling back to the night consuming the day. This last thought has more recently fallen out of favor. There are also those who view Samson as merely the ancient Hebrew telling of Enkidu in Hercules. You should have known that one was a coming. As for the parallels between Samson and Hercules, they both killed a lion barehanded. There is also that they both drank water sourced from a rock. Of all the things they claim to have done, this one seems the least miraculous since natural springs seemingly abound in the region. Also, both tore down a city's gates. Once again, like the spring, most larger cities were protected by gates, so that likely wasn't a singular event, though a single person doing it would be particularly noteworthy. Both were betrayed by a woman. In Hercules' case, it was Daenira, and after this, both would meet their ends. They also both died by their own hands. For Hercules, he put on a poisonous cloak and was unable to remove it. He then begged their gods for help, and they sent lightning that consumed the mortal portion of his body. There are critics who point to Samson's story as being more of a cautionary tale against marrying, or even having relationships with non-Israelite women as Moses warned them. This thought, though, goes counter to the positive portrayal of intermarriage in the book of Ruth, which I'll get to next year. Of course, these comparisons to truly mythological characters have a whole host of critics. I'll avoid working through all of those criticisms, along with the particulars of the counter-arguments, and instead touch on a few of the overriding themes. First is that the Old Testament Samson narrative is chock full of particular details. Where he was from, his tribe, his father's name, cities and other geographic landmarks like the Temple of Dagon, along with that particular place being destroyed. There's also the tribe of Judah, the cleft of the rock, Rhodes, a somewhat named wayward father-in-law, and various other details. Details concerning people, times, places. And it's details like these that usually lend credibility. Think of it as an ancient writer's way of asking for a fact check. All of these leading to the argument that Samson was undoubtedly a real person who pitted his great strength against the oppressors of Israel. There's a third side to the debate and one that emerges from biblical scholars that point out that the story of Samson is different from the stories of the other judges. The primary difference is that Samson's tale lacks any sort of religious or moral tone, except for the maintaining of Nazarite vows, which can be extrapolated to vows in general. Others take this thought further in surmising that the story is likely about the conflict between the Philistines and a small group of Israelites, Danites, really. A conflict of limited geography, probably between a small family and a large enemy. Finally, in the outside record, in August 2012, archaeologists from Tel Aviv University announced the discovery of a circular stone seal, just over half an inch, about 15 millimeters in diameter, which was found on the floor of a house at Beth Shemesh, near the Sorek River. The seal, or perhaps coin, appears to depict a long-haired man slaying a lion and is dated to the 12th century BC. There's no clear convincing evidence that the seal is certainly Samson, but given the age and location, it could be. No matter who it specifically is, it's certainly a heroic man who fought a lion and presumably won. After all, You probably wouldn't spend the time carving stone to commemorate someone losing to a lion. Which gives me a good stopping point for this week's episode. Join me next week when I'll begin the history of all the other people, places, and things in the book of Judges. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.